Vatidu, adore God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We come today to the last Sunday that we have this year before Septuagesima, although we'll get the fourth Sunday on Saturday. But in any case, on Saturday, we'll repeat most of the same text that we have in today's Mass. It's the last, we could say, complete Mass formulary that we're given for the time after Epiphany. And it is the third of a series of introits which focus us on adoration. Indeed, the whole Mass continues to focus us on adoration to present to us in different, a different way the mystery of the Epiphany, which we continue to celebrate. Today's introit speaks of the adoration, not just of men, but first of all, of the angels. Adore God, all you his angels. Sion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced. It takes us back in a certain way to the song of the angels on Christmas night when our Lord is born, and to the joy of his mother as she hears what is reported to her by the shepherds, as she sees the Magi come in to adore her son, she, the daughter of Zion, she, the one who embodies the new Jerusalem, she hears and she rejoices. And all the daughters of Judah rejoice. Elizabeth, the prophetess Anna, and all the daughters of Judah who are to come, all of the holy women who will believe in our Lord, all of the holy virgins whom we've been celebrating in different feasts throughout these weeks, all of them hear and rejoice. And not only that, but as we heard in the gradual, all the nations shall fear thy name, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. The Magi reappear, as it were, in today's gradual. The Lord hath reigned, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad, the many islands, the many coastlands, including this island, which will come to hear the gospel. And so the Mass continues to present us with this vision of universal adoration, the adoration of angels, the adoration of men, all nations coming to adore the Lord. And our Lord speaks of this in the gospel as he praises the faith of the centurion. Many will come from the east and from the west and will recline with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He looks to the gathering in of all of the nations. And then suddenly he says, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. I can't help but thinking of the last chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, which presents a similar vision of the adoration of all of the nations. Isaiah says that I shall gather together from all of the nations and all of the languages, and they shall come and they shall see my glory. I shall send to the islands far off, to those who have not heard of me, those who have not seen my glory, and they shall announce my glory to the nations. And I shall bring together all of your brethren with all of the nations. They're all coming to adore the Lord. In the second to last verse, all flesh shall come to adore before my face, saith the Lord. And then the very last verse, and they shall go out and they shall see the corpses of the men who spoke against me. 
and their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be extinguished. There's a sobering warning given alongside this glorious promise of the coming of all nations to adore the Lord. There's the reminder that there will be some who, by their hardness of heart, by their refusal to accept the good news, will be cast out. And even the sons of the kingdom, those who might have thought that they were entitled to a share in the kingdom, they too can be cast out. And why is that? Because of their lack of faith. Our Lord says, I have not found such faith in Israel. A lack of faith which comes certainly from the fact that they were prudentes apud semetipsos. They were wise in their own eyes, wise in their own estimation. So St. Paul gives us, in, as we continue to hear the 12th chapter of the Epistle to the Romans, he tells us what we need to do in order to be among those who come with all the nations to adore the Lord and not be cast out. Do not be wise in your own conceits, in your own estimation, in your own, in your own eyes. Humility is the essential predisposition for being able to enter into adoration in spirit and in truth. The proud man cannot adore and all of us have probably experienced that if we are holding on to pride in any form, to the extent that we do that, we become unable to adore. We can't adore until we let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to. Humility and then charity. Nuli malum pro malo redentes, rendering no one evil for evil. If it is possible, St. Paul is very realistic, if it is possible, as much as it is in you, having peace with all men. In this life, we can't have perfect peace with everyone, but we must do what we can to be at peace with all men. Not defending yourselves, dearly beloved, but give place unto wrath, for it is written, Revenge is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is able to vindicate his own holiness. He doesn't need us to vindicate ourselves. He doesn't even need us to vindicate his honor, at least in the way in which we so often feel that we have to do. He wants us rather to, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. To say something like this, St. Paul must recognize that the enemy is often not very far off. When we think of our enemies, we can think of categories of people who are unlikely to actually have many encounters with. But St. Paul knows that within the Christian community, little enmities will often arise and seek to pit brother against brother. And it's in those moments that one must overcome evil by good by simple and ordinary acts of kindness. Feed him, give him drink. Nothing out of the ordinary. Simply give him what he needs. And doing this, you will keep coals of fire upon his head. By not being wise in our own estimation, by not rendering evil for evil, 
our souls are disposed through humility and charity to enter into adoration in spirit and in truth. And we might look at ourselves and say, I'm very far from this. I fear that I'm likely to be among those cast out to wail and gnash the teeth. The orations of this Mass and our Lord's own action in the Gospel give us hope in His ability to cleanse us of whatever it is that makes us unclean, whatever it is that we might feel makes us unable to come into God's presence. O Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And He stretches forth His hand, and the hand reappears throughout the text of this Mass. We pray in the Collect, stretch forth the right hand of Thy Majesty to protect us. Our Lord stretches out His hand to cure the leper, and we'll sing in the Offertory, the right hand of the Lord hath wrought strength. The right hand of the Lord hath exalted me. The Lord's right hand, ever strong to save, is ready to reach out and cleanse us of whatever the stains are that inhibit us from coming into his presence. And he does so through the offering of his sacrifice, as we will say in the secret. May this offering, we pray, O Lord, cleanse away our sins, and may it sanctify the bodies and the minds of those subject to thee to celebrate this sacrifice. The Holy Eucharist is capable of sanctifying every aspect of our being, as our Lord gives himself to us, body and blood, soul and divinity. He wants to cleanse our body, our blood, our soul, all that we are. And thus, as we'll say in the post-communion, that thou mayest deign to make us truly fit for their effects, for the effects of these mysteries. Whatever in us is not yet disposed to receive all of the effects of these mysteries, our Lord, by his word, by simply a word, tantum dic verbo, is able to cleanse us cleanse us of our pride, cleanse us of anger and resentment, cleanse us of all the vices that might fill our soul. What he looks for is our humble faith. O Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. O Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. In the name of the Father.